1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, did today's jobs report, did it give the Fed the green light to resume raising rates? Our investment committee is standing by to tackle that question. Joining us for the hour, we have a full house. We have Josh Brown. Brynn Talkington, Jim Labenthal, Capital Wealth Planning's Kevin Simpson, and Steve Weiss. But first, let's take a check on the markets right now. We have seen a bit of a reversal in a few indexes right now. We're seeing the NASDAQ up almost a half a percent, kind of reversing from being in the red just earlier today. We're seeing the S&P up fractionally. However, the Dow is still down fraction. The big story today, though, rates. The 10-year back above 4 percent right now at 4.038, just a tick higher than it was earlier today. And I think that's really where we really have to start. Just a short time ago, we heard Chicago Fed President Austin Goldsby talking right here on CNBC. Our Steve Leesman been doing a great interview. He basically said he believes that a soft landing could happen even with two more hikes, Jim. What did you think about what he had to say? And do you think that still is possible?
2: I I do think it's possible. It's actually my base case, Frank. Uh, Now, I've got to admit, I didn't like the four-tenths of a percent month-over-month gain in average hourly earnings. But let's see what CPI looks like next week. One to two more rate hikes. I think the market can withstand it. I think the economy can withstand it. We've already seen that, right? I mean, just think that it was November 2nd that the Fed raised rates to 400 basis points, 4.0%. And yet here we are eight months down the line, eight and a half months down the line. And this economy is still producing multi hundreds of thousands of jobs a month so this is an economy that is stronger than people expect Uh, and i think it can withstand as i said one to two more but here's where i get worried is cpi is coming up next week if that disappoints and it's hotter than expectations and we start talking about 50 basis point hikes which by the way some people were talking about yesterday after that hot adp report then i think you got to start to worry about the regional banks again i think you got to worry that this economy can't withstand that much But one to two more rate hikes, yes. For me, it really depends on that CPI next week.
1: Yeah, not only CPI, but PPI. Uh, Kevin, what did you think about what you heard from Austin Goolsbee and the fact that now we're seeing the 10-year back above 4%? Yeah,
3: well, I think it was a big shocker when we saw that headline number yesterday from ADP. But they tend to converge at times, and this week was a good example of it. But if you look at it year-to-date, ADP is 263,000 jobs per month and BLS is 278,000 per month. So it puts things in a little bit better perspective, which I think may take that 50 basis point thread off the table. 25 basis points in July, absolutely still a go. Whether they do another 25 the following month or not, I think it's still a high possibility, but yesterday I think it was a certainty.
1: Steve, what are you thinking? I mean, Jim pointed out something really important here. Uh, hourly wages rose more than expected. A lot of people see that as a key metric, as an inflation proxy, if you will. Um, In your mind, two more hikes definitely happen as Austin Gouldsby laid out, and does that also lead to a possible soft landing? Do we avoid recession, or does that cause something else to break?
4: I I think it'll be a mixed recession. I think clearly the uh, people that live paycheck to paycheck and did before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and now they're disadvantaged because they're still seeing prices go up. Granted, the pace of inflation has slowed, and you could see a number that's really sub four, nicely sub four this time, but they're still hurting. And we see it in terms of some of the retailers, what they're reporting. On the other hand, you know corporations still suffer from PTSD, which is shortage of labor. So they're not, aside from the big tech companies that laid off a lot, they're not really laying off. But two rate hikes, in my view, are a certainty, because not only did you get wages increased, right? You've got labor partition uh, participation rate staying flat. You have work week moving up. You want to see work week moving down as a pre- precursor to lower numbers and you're still above 200,000 jobs. Right. So that's not where the Fed wants you to see. The good news is, is that women participation rate is the highest it's ever been, besting last month's high. Where that's good, that's good for health care because a lot of women go into healthcare or services, so that may help give some relief to the healthcare sector, which has been killing them. You know, to your point, healthcare, one
1: of the areas seeing the biggest jump when it comes to hiring. Josh Brown, I want to come over to you, just bouncing off what Steve had to say. He talked about working class people being the most deeply impacted. You're one of the people that's really been flagging the kind of the bifurcation when it comes to the economy and consumer spending. So if, if working class people are hurt, possibly by two more hikes, doesn't that hurt the overall economy and the markets?
5: So it's it's tricky because for every story I could tell you about working class people being hurt by higher borrowing rates, especially when it comes to things like auto loans or uh, credit cards, I can then tell you the other side of the coin is wealthy people making more money than ever in their portfolios. We've just had the best first half of the S&P 500 since 2019 and people with big bond portfolios whether we're talking about corporates municipals treasuries money markets are now getting a ton of income uh on their excess savings and that is in part fueling some of the animal spirits that we continue to see in real estate for example vacations etc so it's really tough to point to one specific economic variable and say it's good, it's bad, it's bullish, it's bearish. Um, There's always another side of the coin. I wanna tell you that right now in the treasury market, there are no yields on the curve below 4%. The lowest yielding duration today is the 30 year, which is 4.02%. The highest is the six month, which is 5.5% yield. So that's what I'm talking about. There is, in fact, a wealth effect coming from the overall level of income that people are earning effectively risk-free in, in their accounts. Um, the one year is now 18 basis points higher than where it was just prior to the Silicon Valley Bank debacle um, in, in March. So that's, that's back at its pre-SVB high for the cycle now you look at employment u.s employers added 209,000 jobs okay that's great it's the 30th consecutive month of gain in u.s payrolls but um it's the first miss versus expectations in 15 months so yes the labor market is still incredibly strong um but it it did not surprise to the upside this time more importantly the ism services uh prices paid index was the lowest reading since March of 2020, which is in line with what Steve Weiss is saying and what Jim is saying. So we now have full employment. Um, we now have a situation where the working class is, let's call it, somewhat less disadvantaged than they had right. been because wages are good. Um, but we have prices around the economy moderating outside of airline tickets and, and hotel bookings, the, the slack that we need for this economy to function is back in a lot of ways. You can get a car now. So like if if you look at just the big picture of all the negatives, all the positives, I think it tilts positive or at least positive enough for us to feel as though the second half can look a lot like the first half and not some sort of radically different environment.
1: Brent, what do you think? You share that opinion? I mean, we just heard Austin Goolsby. A lot of confidence. He seemed very uh, confident, had a lot of conviction that we can see two more hikes without causing some type of recession. Um, Do you share that opinion? Are you you worried about um, the possibility of maybe even a 50 basis point hike that Jim pointed out?
6: Well, I mean, I think Austin's great. I'm always careful to parse my words and like anything's a possibility, but what's the probability? So when you look back the last 30 years. The Fed just raising rates hasn't caused a recession. It's really been this event that has occurred. And so I think that you'd have to have an event occur because of these rate hikes, and that's not really predictable at this point. I think to hit on some of Josh's notes also is don't forget the baby boomers. They have all of the money and those rates at 5%, I mean, Josh just walked through that. There's no yield under four. You can get over five on the short end. That is meaningful in those baby boomers' pockets who don't need to take a lot of risk. And that does trickle down into the economy. I think we continue to have a summer rally and really for two main reasons. I think the two year more than the 10 year is what you wanna watch. We kissed 5% and going back, the last time we hit that was right before SVB. I don't think the economic data is strong enough to keep the two-year above 5% or around five, above 5% for any any meaningful period of time. I do think that will start to trickle down. And then also, Frank, next week, CPI comes back, comes out, and you have to remember, this is a 12-month, month-over-month number. June will be, June of 2022 is the last month that we had a one-handle. So in June of 2022, we had a 1.2% print. That is gonna be the last month that's on there. And all of a sudden, by the July print, which comes out in August, we will have a, a three, three and a quarter percent CPI. And so I think that people will, these animal spirits will continue. My, 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 my thought is looking out past that, I do think inflation will be sticky and we'll get, stay around that three, three and a half percent. But I think that's another battle for another day. And then right now, I think what's been working this year will continue, we'll continue to work through the summer.
2: Yeah. So, and, and Bryn, I like the way you phrase that, that'll be a battle for another day. I happen to agree with you, by the way, that it's probably going to be sticky at the three to three and a half percent level, but let's just see. I think there's another battle, though, that is more near term, and that's earnings. You know, I'm, I'm looking at my fact set earnings right now for the S&P 500. Estimates for this year, next year, uh, second quarter of this year just continue to find new lows. And this is in the face of first quarter earnings that were much better than expected, an economy that continues to hang in there better than expected. And and generally, not ubiquitous, but generally good uh, uh, commentary from companies. So that battle starts next week, Frank, and I'm kind of yeah, looking forward good. to it, because let's get some resolution between what the macroeconomists are saying, and they're not idiots, all right? They, you know, you've had 500 basis points of rate hikes, and you've got an inverted yield curve, but let's fight that battle between the macroeconomists and the microscopic, the, the company-specific analysts, more like me, uh, who, are, who are waiting to see how that gets resolved.
1: So we have some consensus when it comes to that issue. Another thing is rates. Uh, Josh pointing out no yields below 4%. Bank of America also flagging that today in a new note. Uh, Michael Hartnett from B of A saying headline here, rates shocking again, and then goes on to say financial conditions tightening again in early Q3 keeps the higher for longer hard landing view in trend. So saying something very different than we heard from Austin Goolsbee. And then also yesterday, our, our John Ford did a great interview with the CEO of Amazon, Andy Jassy. It's kind of going from a big bank take to a big tech take. Take a listen.
3: I don't think any of us believe we're out of the woods um, with the economy. I, as I said, I, I think there's a lot of uncertainty, and I don't think anybody knows what the next several months are going to be like. And, you know, I, I, like everybody, we've got a plan. And, um, you know, uh, we had a plan the last few years, too, and, and things changed.
1: Some shades of Mike Tyson there. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Brent, I want to come back over to you. You talked about possible versus probable. It seems like Andy Jassy's saying it's very probable that we have something close to a hard landing.
6: I mean think about the infrastructure that that Andy Jassy runs and so I think that's just being a smart CEO. You're not going to lean in or lean out because there's such a complexity to the business. But I think you know Amazon what I thought was interesting from the interview is that he's not saying he's not going the Mark Zuckerberg route saying this is a year of efficiency and he's like we're business as usual. We're going to continue to deliver with AWS, continue to deliver you know, for the consumer. And and I've said this all along, I've visited the Amazon warehouses three years ago. They've been doing robotics and AI for years. So I know it's a buzzword with ChatGPT, but I definitely would never count Amazon out there because they've been investing in robotics so long. I think they're really a leader in the space. So I don't own the company at this point, but I think that with, with, with Andy, if he can get his sea legs, you know, coming after Jeff Bezos is a really, a really tough bill. I think the company will continue to execute. We'll just see what the market wants to, wants to think about their numbers when they come out.
1: So, so Weiss, I saw you kind of looking at the interview. Do you think he was being conservative? I mean, this is a CEO that has visibility into retail, supply chain, Tech. I mean, he has a lot of visibility.
4: Yeah, I, I think you have to look at the concern on his face, maybe more than the words. And he was. Yeah, really, you were looking at something. Yeah, I saw and, you. And he was really parsing. Is what I'm looking at now is that the uh, is that the yield curve is less inverted than it was over the last few days, and you know the bulls can draw something from that. It's still still inverted, but it's narrowing the gap. So uh, so maybe that's an indication. Although it hasn't been an indication of a recession, but you know. Um, We'll we'll see what that turns into. But in terms of Jassien, he's got a perfect view, and he's got to walk that balance between, you know, being the CEO of a public company and not wanting to alarm shareholders, not wanting to alarm employees, but yet giving a realistic view. And what he says, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. I don't think anybody would disagree, including Jim, who's in the bullish camp, or Kevin, or anybody. There is uncertainty. The bet is, how is it going to turn out? And right right now, the market's making the bet that it is going to be a soft landing. So you can still have uncertainty in a soft landing. Um, I do think that's a real possibility. The market's just been tremendously resilient. And the market is not necessarily the economy. It's different. And you look, it's got a different timetable, it's got a different frame of reference, and by the way, it's got a different type of investor now than it had in prior cycles. So we could still do fine in the market. I mean, it's taken the, the firmest, hardest punches and has shown that resilience. So, so yeah, so what Jassy says is fine. I'm not sure it's gonna change the path of the market though. Kevin, what do you think? I mean, Weiss is pointing out some concern
1: on his face. The tone of even what he said, it wasn't a lot of optimism in there. Look who you're talking to. No, I'm talking about Andy Jasson, in all fairness. The,
3: uh, you know, hard landings happen quickly and ferociously. Soft landings take place over time. Right. And so far, the soft landing camp has been winning and things are working because of the labor market being as resilient as it is the problem however is the feds looking at two things they're looking at inflation and sure inflation's coming down which is great but they're also looking at this labor market they don't want to see a three in front of the unemployment number they want to see a four and and from that standpoint it gives them reasons to continue to raise rates even if we see a cpi number that's better than expected
1: you know, I want to bring in one more voice it's in that soft landing cap. I'm talking about Fundstrat. Uh, Mark Newton now with a note today. Headline yields closer to breaking down than out as we talk about all the Treasury yields above 4%. He says in part, difficult to have any conviction that this market might be turning down. Short-term bullish equity trends coupled with weekly momentum remain positively sloped and should bring about rallies into mid-July. Um, Jim, I'm going to come over to you. you're you're known to be pretty bullish about the markets. Do you see a setup for a rally I guess next week? I mean, that would technically be mid-July.
2: Yeah, I I mean, look, I'm not the best technician. Everybody knows that. I'm more of a fundamental guy, but just in the simplest of of technical terms, the trend is your friend, and we do seem to want to go higher. Uh, Now, if you'll forgive me, Frank, I'll just go back to the fundamentals because I feel like I have to defend myself a little bit. I said, generally speaking, company commentary was positive, and then you had Andy Jassy saying, no, not so fast, (laughs) cowboy. Um, and, And this is a point that Steve was just making is there's something for everyone. It is right. a muddle and it's been a muddle for a long time. So I could point to auto sales, right? We got them this week, much better than expected and estimates going up, that sort of stuff. But, you know, the naysayers would say, yeah, that's just a catch up after, you know, we underproduced for so long. Um, you know, I could point to airlines, right? Delta's uh, uh, investor day last week and the pre-announcement there, which was pretty incredibly positive. I'm not sure it's right, by the way, but that's what Ed Bastian says is, you know, this is not a, a phase, it's going to continue. Did raise the their naysay- ETS forecast and all fairness. Yeah, but, but, and going out. I mean, saying this is not what the naysayers would say, which is just it's revenge travel and it's, you know, the goods to services. My point going on, this is really what Steve is saying, is it is uncertain. Um, And there's something for everyone to look at. Now, I'm not a Pollyanna who just hews bullish all the time. I do think that in baseball, a tie goes to the runner. And I think in investing, a tie goes to the bulls. The markets want to go up over time. The economy wants to expand over time.
4: You know, there's one one other thing in the employment number. The revision was substantial, the downward revision of 100,000 jobs. So From May, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. from from May. So so look, you know, so bulls just want to have fun, right? And they have reasons to do it. And bears want, want to, you know, be grouchy and they have reason to do it. So Jim's exactly right. Markets have a tendency to go up about 90% of the time. So ties always going to go to the bull. All right, Josh, I want to come over to you.
1: What do you make of what Andy Jassy had to say? I also want to bounce that fun strat note off of you, forecasting a rally in
5: mid-July, which technically has to be next week. I mean, I yeah, I I don't know about the mid-July. I hope I hope I hope that's true. I don't know. I think the bigger picture here is that this is not a situation where we have the worst companies having these um ignominious rallies that are inexplicable and make everyone shake their heads. Like that was 2021. That was that environment where Spacs and you know uh bitcoin mining companies and there were all sorts of incongruous things happening and it, it if you were a fundamentalist or if you were someone that pays attention to um earnings or balance sheet it just you would say to yourself what the hell environment is this i can't wait for it to end well it did end and it ended really badly and trillions of dollars um, were transferred from people who didn't know better. to people who did. And that was the story of 2022 and the value versus growth rotation and the comeback for energy companies and commodity companies, et cetera, et cetera. This environment, I think, while it's, while it's as boisterous a rally as any we've seen, 17% first half for the S&P 500 is a really great year, uh, really great full year. We got it in half a year. Yes, but... Look at the companies that are benefiting in this route. Look at the stocks of the companies that are benefiting. This is what should be working. It's the companies that have demand, have improving fundamentals, um, have maybe not the lowest valuations ever, but certainly nothing like what we saw rallying in 2021 So even if you've been a little bit more on the cautious side, which I have been, um, even if you've been more on the hesitant, you know, I'm hesitant to like, you know, jump in and join the party, you're still making money this year because the right companies with good fundamentals are doing well. This is not through the looking glass market like what we saw two years ago. And I think you can take some solace in that, even if you think maybe it's too fast even if you think maybe it's not broad enough. Like whatever your reservations are, at least understand the companies rallying happen to have business fundamentals that are improving.
1: All right. Speaking of rallying right now, we're going to look at the markets one more time. We're seeing the, the, the indexes at session highs right now. The Dow getting very close to turning positive right now, just very fractionally lower. The Nasdaq up a half a percent, the S&P up a quarter percent. Also important to note, the Russell 2000 up one and a half percent right now in a day where we're talking about all yields above four percent. Steve, I'm going to come back to you. Surprised at all to see the Russell is the best performer?
4: No, uh, I'm not, because it, it's, been, it's, it's been the worst performer for an extended period of time. So now it's catching up over the last couple of weeks or so. Wow. So I'm not, because laggards typically, when you take a look at the market and somebody's not in the market, say, where can I go? Or if they want to take profit, say, where can I go? What hasn't responded to this? So you go to the Russell because if it hasn't rallied, you've theoretically got the lowest downside. Also, keep in mind, a lot of banks in there, a lot of financial companies. And people, I think, for now, are saying, hey, the banks, you know, there's no crisis right now. And that may be true. But we'll see that as commercial real estate leases roll off, and then you have more, you know, stress in the bank system, the very banks that are in the Russell. But you know, I want to go back to what to Newton's prediction. It's a bold prediction because it's binary. I don't know how you can make a technical call with any comfort when you're staring at CPI and PPI, which are the most important you know, denominators in the market next week. He may be wildly right, he may be wildly wrong, but I think there's a danger in listening to that just technical analysis.
1: Yeah, after kind of a, a mad jobs report, it seems like that CPI and PPI have even more weight now coming up next week. They always do, I believe. Yeah. All right, turn our attention now to some committee moves. Kevin, you're making some moves. Three consumer-facing names you actually bought. We're talking Home Depot, Starbucks, and UPS. We were talking about the impact to higher rates on the consumer as you're buying into consumer-facing stocks. I want to focus on one, Home Depot, uh, a name that's definitely impacted by the housing market. Give us a sense. Why do you want to buy in Home Depot right now? Shares down actually year-to-date. Yeah, well, we want to look at things that are down as opportunities, and similar to what Josh was
3: saying, we want to look for things that may be a little bit out of favor, good multiples, strong earnings, tons of free cash flow. Any of us who are lucky enough to own a home, we realize that we're constantly spending on it, and, and for me and for our firm, we're always looking at dividends, so you're getting a very solid yield, but more importantly, you're getting incredible dividend growth. This is a stock that over the past five years has a KGR a compounding annual growth rate of 16.4%. In 2018, five years ago, it paid $4.12 a share. Today, it pays $7.60 a share. That's how you want to invest. You want to get into companies that are
1: increasing their dividends because they're increasing their earnings. I want to push back on you for a second, Kev. I want to talk this dividend story. Dividend yield on Home Depot, 2.75%, below what you can get on any Treasury today, at least, and for most of this year. Is the dividend story... Is viable now with yields on bonds so high?
3: No, it's not as viable as it was when there was zero interest rates. And mean, clearly clear that would be a naive comment. But for us, we're looking for that dividend growth. So if we're sitting in a treasury, you're locking in that yield and it's static. When we're looking at the dividend growth within Home Depot just over the past five years, 16.4% dividend growth, you're not going to get that out of a treasury.
4: Why you also own Home Depot? I don't. Uh, I've looked at it, haven't pulled the trigger, and I keep waiting for it to trade down some more. More than three percent down year to date? Yeah, more than. What are you looking for? The- what's
1: what's going to be the catalyst for a bigger downside move with all the pressure on the housing market?
4: Uh, another bad quarter where they miss expectations, like they did last quarter, and this again, you know, it's uh, it, you've got a bifurcated consumer and uh, you know so you'll see them that you don't have to spend money so housing sales new home sales are phenomenal right the builders are doing great but with rates moving up you're not going to see existing home sales right. do as well so if you're not if you're not going to home depot you go to Home Depot for two things, you go there to dress up your home for sale or you recognize that, hey, I'm not gonna be selling it so maybe you don't need to do that now if you feel pressure elsewhere. On the other hand saying, I'm gonna be here for a while so maybe I wanna do something, okay. Because you're not gonna do it. This is just my view as extensively as if you've gotta dress it up for sale. So that's why Home okay. Depot actually said they're suffering. All right, Jim, I know you own it too, but we gotta leave the
1: conversation there. Coming up here on Halftime, (laughs) your second-half playbook for semis. Tim's posting strong gains in the first six months of the year, so will this rally roll on for the rest of 2023? We're going to break it all down when Halftime returns. Stay with us. As you can see, the Dow is just eking into positive territory. Welcome back to halftime. Semis showing signs of strength with the SMH ETF up more than 48% year to date. We have our Christina Partzinevola. She's been tracking all the action and joins us with more on what this could all mean for chip names in the second half. Christina.
7: I got to bring it up. NVIDIA up 200% year to date, AMD 78%, Marvell 66%, all of these tickers vastly outpacing the S&P tech index. But can this pace continue in the second half? Wall Street seems to be pretty divided. You got UBS that is is, is expecting a 10 to 15 percent drop in AI related stocks, suggesting positivity is priced in. And a brand new June Deutsche Bank survey says 66 percent of respondents think that NVIDIA is more likely to half than double next, a more negative stance than we saw in May. But Evercore ISI names it a top pick. Stiefel bumped its price target to $300 from 225. One thing for certain though, the updates for AI will be costly because these GPU chips cost a lot and that comes at the expense of server storage like AMD's CPU business. Luckily, AMD revealed a new AI chip to take on NVIDIA this year. There are signs of stabilization in the PC smartphone market, with Intel raising the midpoint of its 2Q outlook. Micron also expects customer inventory levels in PCs to be normal by year-end. But sometimes, sometimes you got to hit bottom first. Competitor Samsung expects its lowest quarterly profit in 14 years. They just announced this, raising questions about the speed of the memory recovery and where Micron can actually go from here. Concerns also remain around auto and analog chip makers, given a weaker recovery from China. And that's why you saw a recent Bank of America investor survey that showed Wolfspeed and analog maker Texas Instruments among the most shorted names. So for the second half of this year, AI still hot, but might be priced in PCs slowly stabilizing. But memory and auto industrial chips could take a while, especially if tensions between China and the U.S. keep escalating.
1: Yeah, key question right there. Christina parts Christina Parsons, especially with uh, Secretary Yellen in China as we speak. Appreciate that. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, Brent. I want to come over to you. You own NVIDIA. That's what Christina mentioned right at the top of her hit. Uh, big run up so far this year. High valuation. Obviously, the AI leader.
6: I think it'll continue to be the AI leader. I mean, I think AMD will ultimately catch up or or at least participate. But I think of all of the semis, you know, NVIDIA's numbers don't come out till I think August twenty third but this continues to be one of the names that investors when they wanna play AI are gonna own Nvidia as a core. There's not that many AI pure plays in the public market and Nvidia is just a clear winner. I mean, for me, the way I managed it is that I took part of my position when the stock went to 400 and I sold the September 450 calls and collected $23 a premium. So um, if September 15th, it's at 450, that position will get called away but I'll have made 23 extra dollars for that. Um, and because I, I did that because I think it's had such a big run this year. The stock's had multiple years where it's up 100, 200, even 300%, so I wouldn't count that out. But I just think as an asset allocator, that felt comfortable to me to sell some of those calls and collect that big premium when there was so much like, fever around the name.
1: Josh, what's your thoughts on NVIDIA? We were talking about this name actually in Worldwide Exchange earlier today. Um, one of the analysts that we had on Very Bullish, but just about the guidance they put out and about the idea that there may be even being conservative with the
4: guidance.
5: Well, it didn't seem conservative. It definitely made a splash. And I highly doubt they'll be able to do that in subsequent quarters to that magnitude. But um, I just want to point out There is this idea that because NVIDIA is the best performing stock this year or because of how much the market cap has grown, that all of a sudden it's like this outrageous bubble. Look, I'm not going to tell you it's a cheap stock. And I took a little bit off the table the other day um, because of how much it's run. But right now, NVIDIA is selling at a 41 forward P.E. That's lower than Tesla at 57, uh, lower than Amazon at 50. And a lot of people who are long Tesla or Amazon or both are talking about NVIDIA's gone up too much. So there's always context. Um, Even Microsoft and Apple at 31 and 29 times respectively are selling at elevated multiples, both on an absolute basis and relative to their own uh, median 10-year valuation. So we're just in a period of time where it looks like there's this great leap forward, technologically speaking, a lot of money to be made, and investors are placing their bets. And when they do that in large numbers, you get uh, multiple expansion. Um, In the case of Nvidia, it's multiple actually contracted. So that's why I'm confident staying long the stock. It still looks better. I'm I'm looking at all the SMH names. 0% of the names in the semiconductor holders ETF are currently at 52 week highs. At the start of July, 25% of them were. Actually, it peaked in May, 45% of that index trading at a 52-week high. So we've had a substantial cooling off in that space. Only 8% of the names in the SMH are at an RSI of greater than 70. So less than 10% of those stocks are overbought. I think you can be here. I think they've cooled off, and I want to stay with NVIDIA.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people agree with you. NVIDIA shares up 2% outperforming the SMH right now. Uh, Let's get to the headlines now with our Contessa Brewer. Contessa.
5: Frank, Baltimore police
8: say they took a 17 year old person of interest into custody this morning for a mass shooting Sunday that killed two and injured 28 others. Police say he will be charged with possessing a firearm as a minor. Possession of assault, uh, an assault weapon and reckless endangerment. Earlier this week, investigators said they suspected multiple people were involved in the deadly shooting at that block party. House Republicans are asking the Secret Service for some answers about the cocaine found Sunday in a heavily trafficked part of the West Wing. The House Oversight Committee chairman is insisting on a staff level briefing by the end of next week. And sources tell NBC News the Secret Service expects to wrap up its investigation by Monday. New safety measures at New York beaches following shark attacks over the long holiday weekend five on Monday and Tuesday alone. Governor Kathy Hochul says the state will deploy dozens of new shark monitoring drones at New York beaches. Frank, cue the creepy music. <laughs>
1: Contessa, thank you very much. It's safe to go back in the water.
8: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Contessa Brewer, thank you very much for that news update. Coming up, bullish calls on Ford, GM, and Tesla with all three stocks seeing some very nice gains this year. We'll give you the committee's take on the best plays for your portfolio. That's coming up next on Halftime. All right, we're back here at halftime. Let's get to our calls of the day on some auto stocks. Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas raising his price targets on Ford and General Motors, plus Tesla getting a target bump at Mizuho. Jim, you own GM. Let's just start there. Okay, so I referred
2: to the autos earlier, and here's just the basic fact. We have underproduced in North America and globally autos for the last three years. We haven't had the parts to produce them. That's why dealer inventories are 50% of where they should be. And the undershoot has been by about six, maybe seven million cars here in North America, which means that people are driving cars longer on the road. They're wearing out. People need to replace these cars. So the demand is going to be there. Now, the stocks have started to reflect that. I mean, you can take a look at GM over the last. Last month it's up quite a bit. Um, it, here's my thought on this. I think there is still more room to run because the cash flows are there. Uh, last quarter GM bought back 5% of its shares outstanding. Let me rephrase that. It bought back shares outstanding such that compared to a year ago uh, 5% decline in shares outstanding. So when they report in the upcoming quarter I'm expecting a beaten raise. but I'm also first and foremost looking at the shares outstanding to see how much more concentrated my ownership of a growing business got. And I'm really looking forward to that
1: earnings report. So I want to go back to the rate story, concerned about a rising cost of capital, possibly two more rate hikes. How does that impact demand not I mean, only, not only yeah. for, for internal combustion, but also for electric vehicles that are more expensive?
2: I, I mean, I'm going to do the ensign salute in the Navy of like, why are we still selling cars with these interest rates? Although I, I partially answered it by the fact right. that people need to drive to work. They need cars and the average age of 12 and a half years. Right. You know, you can't drive the cars that long. So this is where the Fed should be having an effect, and it isn't because the demand is just so strong. So
1: Bryn, you also own Tesla just speaking of EVs.
6: Right. Well, I mean, first of all, it's great to see that Tesla, GM and Ford, these three iconic, you know, automakers are in America. So I think that's it's wonderful to see that renaissance especially with Ford and GM. I think as a Tesla shareholder, you know, I originally bought it and I think it's important context. So I do think price matters. I bought it around 120 in January with all the Twitter nonsense. And so now it's had a huge run. And what I'm doing to manage the position is I own half the position and then I sell calls, pretty far out of the money calls on our sell calls on, on the other position because it is volatile and it is harder to value now at these levels. I think that as an investor, this is all about China. The US is negligible globally to EV auto sales. Um, China is expected to have 9 million EVs this year, and it is hyper-competitive. And so I think margins with the Tesla story will continue to be important. They were high teens. They're probably gonna be low teens in single digits because especially in China, they continue to make cuts in that very, very competitive market. So I love the name. I think Elon is like a modern day Thomas Edison. Um, He's eccentric, he he does different things, but I just think it's an important company and I don't wanna own it long-term.
1: So very quickly, 74 times forward earnings, not too expensive is what you're saying because you believe in Elon?
6: Well, no, I mean, it is expensive. That's why I have half the position I sell calls on, which continue to get called away, by the way. And so I own half the position I I bought much lower. And then the other half, I'm selling calls against that because it is harder to value. And so to me, just owning it and just being long-term is very difficult for me. I need to have an exit for part of the position. And so I don't think when you look at a Tesla or any company, you can say a 74 cheap or expensive. Is it cheap or expensive relative to Ford? They're just in a whole nother ecosystem. And you know, Elon has said this many times that they need to get to autonomous driving to really match the valuations. And as a Tesla shareholder and owner of a car, That's really far away. I think that last 10% is gonna take a few years. And to me, that is the biggest risk in the name, is autonomous driving continues to get pushed out another decade, and then you'd have to revalue the name based on on that modeling.
1: All right, certainly something to watch. Tesla shares up almost 1% right now. Coming up our chart of the day, Biogen shares lower despite getting FDA approval for its Alzheimer's treatment. We're going to tell you where the committee stands on the biotech space. And we're at session highs right now. Green across the screen. A bit of a reversal from right before halftime started. Halftime, back in two minutes. Stick with us. All right, we're back on halftime. Let's get to our chart of the day. Biogen falling today despite the company's Alzheimer drug getting FDA approval this week. Kevin, coming over to you. You don't own Biogen, but you have a lot of healthcare exposure, including j United Health, and Merck.
3: Yeah, I think the more traditional pharmaceuticals are where you want to be at this point. I mean, biotech for the past year, year and a half, it's just been a dead space. And I'm looking at companies right now that have tremendous earnings, again, lower multiples, relatively speaking. We like the healthcare trade heading into this idea that baby boomers are going to continue to be uh, utilizing it. Merck is one of our favorite names for sure. We've owned it for a really long time. They have practically no debt. And it's a stock that you can own both for the short term and the long term. J&J, it kind of looks like the talcum powder, pow, talcum powder lawsuit is in the rearview mirror, which they need. They can divest that company. A lot of value there. United Healthcare may be in a little bit of trouble as you head into a presidential election year. Often you get a little pressure on companies like that. I would look at it as an opportunity to add to the name. We've owned it for over 10 years. Very, very solid growth, but something that on weakness
1: you'd probably want to add to. All right, Weiss, what's your second half outlook? When I'm looking at the IBB, the biotech ETF, down 4.5%, 5%, same story for the healthcare sector. You own Moderna and UnitedHealth.
4: Yeah, so uh, I sort of feel like an MMI fighter on, uh, uh, you know, on the losing side of a roundhouse kick with UNH. I mean, it's down again today, Goldman came out, lowered numbers, still above the street. So at this point, I think you've basically de-risked it in front of the courts coming out next week. It's all in the MLR, increased surgeries, you know, for Medicare patients. So, uh, so I'm, I haven't sold any. I've actually bought a little, tried to catch a falling, hasn't worked out. In terms of uh, biotech, I mean, they peaked in, you know, the XBI right. peaked in February of 21. This is sort of unprecedented to have two years of just pure ugliness. Take a look at Biogen today. You would think, even though the news is expected, the stock wouldn't be down like it is. But everything is a sell on the news here. Biogen's actually pretty cheap, and sure, there are some hurdles to getting for Medicare covering it. But uh, but right. I'll tell you, this is just the beginning. The advances they will make in Alzheimer's are just going to be incredible. Yeah. So it's probably a good entry point, but I say that without a lot of conviction, just because there's no appetite for biotech whatsoever. Not
1: at all, not at no. all. As I mentioned, it's biotech ugly. down almost 5% year to date, the healthcare sector down almost 5% year to date. But you have some conviction, Jim. You like the fundamentals. What are you seeing that other people are not seeing?
2: Well, first off, let me say I'm not in biotech. And and I think biotech, you're right, Steve, it's an awfully long time for it to languish. It will come back, it always does, but the issue here is cost of capital, right? Right. I mean, you're always talking about smaller companies that have a digital outcome. Will their drug work or not? They're reliant on venture capital financing in order to get through those tests And, and the cost of capital has just gone up. So it's actually not that surprising. But to Kevin's point and where I totally agree is, you know, you look at these pharmaceutical companies and I own Bristol Myers and AbbVie, the multiples, the dividend yields, the fundamental factors of an aging population across the globe that will promote use of drugs uh, tells me this is where you want to be. I'm also in CVS, hasn't done very well. I, I still look at UNH, Steve, and right. I you know, I look at that multiple, and I'm really not sure why CVS has a multiple that's less than half of UNH. I mean, you can come up with some reasons, but the transformative acquisitions that CVS is making, What's I'm that? very happy there. You own Vertex as well. That's biotech. Yeah, Vertex too but uh, okay but it's not yeah and you're right and it's it's a smaller position for me it's not that expensive relative to a lot of the biotechs that you know generally populate the xbi all right
1: so as we mentioned uh the market's pretty close to session highs right now coming up next mike santoli is going to join us with his midday word the dow firmly in positive territory right now we're going to talk a lot more about that when halftime comes back right after this break All right. Welcome back to Halftime Report. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now with his midday work. Mike. You know, Frank, it feels like this market all year, you've needed something to be afraid of.
9: Everyone worries about it. You sort of tense up in advance of it. And then uh, it doesn't come out, worst case scenario, and you have a relief rally. We had a small version of that over the last couple of days, it feels like. You had that rate scare yesterday, yields racing higher. People thought a hot number was coming from the payroll report today, and you didn't get it. So it's kind of moderate. Uh, Moderating, I think, is the trend all around when it comes to uh, growth in the economy, uh, labor uh, demand, as well as really earnings. I mean, you're kind of having them flatten out. So I think the market's good for now to kind of use that as a source of short-term relief. I still think it's tough to really paint the picture for a trajectory right. much higher on a steep angle from here, but it feels like the market is uh, is, is getting a little more comfortable with the, with the backdrop we have.
1: So maybe you can't paint the picture on trajectory, but we did have Austin Goldsby right here on yeah. CBC painting a picture. Uh, that I think a lot of people would be, at least in the investing community, could be excited about. Yes. Two more hikes, somehow with a soft landing, is a very rosy picture. There's no doubt about it. And that has always been out there.
9: the, The perception is there was a very narrow path to getting to that outcome, and maybe it still is very narrow. But when you have him saying he's not personally convinced on a July hike, even though the market basically is pricing it in, and he's a voting member. So therefore, someone's going to need persuasion about a hike. And it just shows, it really underscores this idea of a go slow Fed. It's deliberate. It's data dependent. It's not looking to shock the markets or necessarily uh, race to, to, to get ahead of inflation. It feels like it's in the zone of where it needs to be. We're tweaking around the edges for now.
1: It was interesting. He said two more hikes, but maybe not. In j- I mean, it was just very contrary, as Steve pointed out, Our Steve Leisman, great interview. Yeah. Very contrary to what everybody else in the Fed saying. That's right. I think it was um, probably intentionally so.
9: He wants to say, look, there's no need to jump to any conclusion in advance of where we're headed uh, at every meeting. And I keep pointing out, too, you know, it's July, it's September, and then it's November 1st. Those are your next three meetings. And so if you're skipping one, then we're not talking about much in the way of rates moving
1: at all before you get to the fourth quarter. All right. Mike Santoli was midday work. We'll see you on Closing Bell later today. All right. Final trades coming up on halftime. Stay with us. All right, well, back to halftime. Now for final trades. Josh, you're up first.
5: Yeah, I, I want to uh, I want to highlight Live Nation. The stock looks like it's back in an uptrend. Really incredible numbers for this summer's concert calendar, and uh, I think we'll have some follow through this time through 100. Brent,
6: uh, Diamondback Energy. I know energy's down for the down for the year. One of the best in the space. They're going to generate about $3 billion of free cash flow, strong company. Um, good time to d- buy it down here. Kevin.
3: Home Depot, I believe in the U.S. consumer. I believe in the housing market. And hopefully they got all the bad news out in their last quarterly announcement. Jim. Yeah, Transocean.
2: Uh, Approximately one-third of the company's rigs are idle, stacked, cold stacked right now. When they reactivate one of those, the stock's going to go higher, and I think that's why it's going higher now is in anticipation of that happening.
4: Weiss. I don't think the move in bet is over. Number one, it's cheap relative to some of the other mega caps. Number two, you're seeing the biggest downloads of any any app in such a long time. What does that do? That adds to advertising dollars.
1: That's going to do it for halftime.
0: completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.